What's up, everybody? It's Drew and Luke here on More Than Name Podcast, and today we're joined by a right-handed pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, Tyler Beatty. Tyler, thank you for joining us. Yeah, you got it, guys. Thanks for having me on. This will be fun. And Tyler, you know, you had Tommy John surgery in March of 2020, so just six months ago. Take us through the past six months and how you've been able to stay mentally tough through such a major surgery. Yeah, it's a good question. And I, I think to to provide context, it's it's rightfully so to go back to when I feel like I knew I needed it. Um, and like you put yourself in, in, in my shoes or anybody's shoes at that point and you come off an off season. So this is spring training where I, you know, I had been training for four or five months of the off season, really busting my ass to put myself in a good position to, you know, to make the rotation and compete and, um, and really feel consistent and strong, which I was. And then to have the injury as a setback, I gave myself really 24 to 48 hours to be pissed. Like I, I was mad, uh, disappointed and struggling. But then after that, man, it's, it's, uh, it's no time to be sulking and you need to have a positive mindset in regards to the rehab and knowing the benefit of how it's going to help you out. Um, and then to just a mindset of attack rehab, right? So that's been my mindset since March 20th is to take it one day at a time. Like when I was going through that first month, which was a brutal month, like I wasn't at all looking forward to this September 14th date, which is coming up where I'm going to throw. Right. So um, I really had that moment to moment mindset, which has allowed me to um, enjoy the the small progress that I've been making and, and to where I am now, uh, on, you know, on the brink of playing catch. For sure. Almost coincidentally, your injury timeline kind of almost mirrors the pandemic timeline in terms of you know baseball shutting down and like you you know you go off surgery and then maybe you know within a couple days the rest of your teammates are gone um so maybe talk about how you know obviously removing yourself because of an injury and then with a new manager Gabe Kapler coming in trying to create a culture kind of maybe how the team him management has kind of stayed in touch with you personally but as a team as a whole uh throughout that you know two months or so, uh, three months, four months, um, figuring everything out. Yeah, man, it, it was wild. Obviously the timing of it all, it did play a factor in regards to my decision because I, you know, I was, I was sensitive to the fact that, you know, people were needing hospitals, were needing those clinics and that supplies at the time. And it actually, you know, my original choice of surgeon was in LA, uh, Neil Elitrosh, and um, he had closed his clinic the week that I decided to get my surgery. And so I had to pivot and thankfully, I live in Houston, which is a, just a three-hour drive from Arlington, where I got my surgery with Dr. Meister. And so, you know, from the onset, the team was um, completely supportive with my decision to either get surgery or rehab it and um, and try to come back in three months or so. But, um, you know, from the get-go, they were, uh, you know, just encouraging me from a distance because, like you said, everybody went home. So uh, they had to keep in contact. I had to keep in contact. And I didn't, I didn't see the team for up until they played the Astros, I saw a couple guys. So it's like, you know, I get injured and then I come to Houston and I, I really rely on a trusted physical therapist here to do my early early rehab process, which is super important. Um, but they did a good job communicating and, and these times were challenging, but I was thankful to be home for them. And, you know, you have yourself, obviously, but you have a family that supports you, the team support you. Talk about the support you've had that's kind of helped you through this process. Yeah, I mean, having a support system and people to encourage you on a daily basis is vital. I mean, you know, my wife was essentially my support system and my nurse and my doctor and uh, all the things that she probably didn't sign up for as a as a wife at this at this soon of a time, right? So I'm, you know, I obviously can't use my right arm, and they took my left hand piece of my left hamstring, so I'm, you know, I can't use my left leg or my right arm. 
thankfully I'm, you know, ambidextrous and can write and eat with my left hand, but otherwise she was doing pretty much everything else. So the first month was uh, awkward and uh, probably difficult for her, but my whole family, man, obviously being from Massachusetts, a majority of my family's up there, but um, you know, there's, there's no, uh, you know, shortage of encouragement coming through, you know, phone calls and text messages from family and, and friends as well. And, and even fans of the organization. So, uh, it's it's uplifting, especially now in the process where I can sort of try to share in my in my progress and my steps forward and my my landmarks of playing catch and, and throwing away the balls. Like it's it's always great to feel support and encouragement because the process is sometimes lonely, right? You're in isolation, especially in COVID and quarantine. Obviously, I'm married, but in a way, I'm isolated from my teammates for in my sport for the first time since I was 12 years old. So. Um, to, to have that constant communication with them and support has been uh, invaluable for me. Before we kind of dive back to history, we should probably just mention your newfound fishing career that you've picked up. <laughs> <laughs> Last month. I am, I, I, you know what? I've never uh, imagined in my life that I'd be doing a, a podcast and then talk about my fishing abilities. <laughs> I'll, I'll give So this is where I can brag about my brother-in-law, Kyle. So he, he tells fishing stories every time we're together and, They've almost become myth and, and folklore at this point. <laughs> and so uh, I got to see him in, in, in person, uh, the magic. And he, he literally, like within 10 minutes, we caught that fish. So he, he threw out the bait or we caught the bait. He casted the line and then he had me reel it in 10 minutes later. Right. And, and if you fished for a long period of time, you know that you're never that lucky to get it right. in first 10 minutes. Right. So <laughs> we reel it in. We take that picture. I'm dying. I'm laughing, man. I'm like, this guy's not just a myth. He's, he's the real deal. So <laughs> Uh, appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. So this week <laughs> I built my plyo ball wall. So I got some carpentry done and I, I fished and, uh, man, yeah, it's been, it's been a new week for me. New week. <laughs> All right. Now that's out of the way. Uh, yeah. going back, you know, you mentioned from Massachusetts, Auburn, Mass, uh, you go to Lawrence Academy, quite a football player within yourself. Uh, talk about the kind of transition, you know, obviously baseball was kind of, you know, your thing, but talk about hey, going to your senior high school, kind of the hype and, you know, coming to college with the draft and all that, um, how you kind of balance that and it came to be up until, you know, everything up until that, that draft uh, in 2011. Yeah. I mean, like the biggest thing that I wanted to do my senior year was not put all my eggs in that one basket of like, I don't want to sit in my room and wait till spring. Cause I, I knew that there was a, you know, expectation for me to do well. And I didn't think to be a first round pick at that point in the year, but um, I decided to play football after I took off football my junior year and the team was so dominant at Lawrence Academy. I mean, went undefeated and we were dominant, but my, I didn't tell my mom. So I lived at school and my mom didn't want me to play. My dad encouraged it. And so she didn't find out until like the third or fourth game of the year when, when I, I just must have slipped somehow. And I, I brought up that I was playing. Um, and so the funny thing was she just couldn't kind of like, she didn't want to watch. She didn't want me to get hurt. But like my mindset wasn't about, walking on eggshells and trying not to get hurt. Like I wanted to live my life and enjoy my senior year and have those experiences with those guys. And, and in turn, when it came springtime, like a lot of those football guys who were highly touted division one players decided to play baseball with us because we had a similar mindset of like going out there, having fun and trying to win at the time, the ISL championship. So, um, man, it was an incredible year, but it was, yeah, like I just tried to immerse myself and my teammates as much as I could. And they made it easy for me to, just really disassociate myself from the hype of the draft. Now I'm human. Like I, I followed it and I tried to, to perform at times for the scouts in the stands. Um, but I, but I loved it and I, and I tried to treat it as if it was a, a normal senior year for me and had fun. And 
and I, I, that was a, a great year and a lot of fun for sure. Right. Proven that pitchers are athletes. I'll, I'll, I'll plug that in there. As <laughs> Thank <a former> you. <laughs> myself. <laughs> and then let fast off, forward. Let off that year too, man. Let off, stole some bags. <laughs> <laughs> you fast forward, you drafted first round, 21st overall by the Blue Jays out of high school. Talk about the, uh, the commitment to Vanderbilt and how you chose Vanderbilt over, you know, going to the MLB, making the money and the relationships they formed to kind of sway you to go the college route. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's easy to look back and say it was um, kind of a clear cut decision, which, you know, obviously I wouldn't change anything, but man, at the time, you know, you're seven, I'm 17. My family's not well off. Um, you know, we, we, we sacrificed, my parents sacrificed a lot for me to have been in that position, um, both by traveling, playing in certain showcases, going to camps. It's a very costly um, path for a youth baseball player with everything in regards to travel baseball. So I'm sitting there with the, yeah, the amount of money that's staring me in the face uh, is a lot and it's, it's difficult to not be blinded by it. Um, and um, I, I put a lot of thought and effort into how life changing that would be. I wasn't insensitive to the fact that that's life changing money. Um, and also wasn't insensitive to the fact that I felt polished and mentally mature for minor league baseball, even though I would have been, the grueling, you know, short season, a ball, you know, years, right. I just felt ready. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I needed to be mature and wise in regards to thinking of the Vanderbilt education and opportunity, uh, which I'm fortunate that I had counsel and trusted family members. Um, and obviously Tim Corbin at Vanderbilt to help me understand that and at least put it in the, in the, in the picture for it to be a decision. Right. So, uh, you know, a lot of things happen behind the scenes in regards to, what I'll keep in short is that the business of baseball isn't as always advertised in regards to there's some difficulties to it. Um, and it's a reality that you're not always um, put in a, a position that you think is fit for you. So, um, you know, the Vanderbilt decision in whole is incredible. And I get the chance to talk to recruits these days in regards to if they want to go to Vanderbilt or not. It's so easy for me to brag about the athletic department, the coaching staff, but like, you think about the education and the um, the degree that you get from Vanderbilt. It's such a prestigious education that, you, you know, you're set up for the rest of your life and that you can't put a number amount or a dollar amount on that education. So uh, it's obviously I can talk on a tangent on that, but I think that's, you know, really where I wrap it up for, for that decision. And I'm sure uh, Tim Corbin's pretty grateful, you know, bringing out that pipeline, that New England pipeline that he pipeline. wanted to start. And then I think, you know, you, between you, yeah, Zomiak, you know, Rhett Wiseman, you know, there's always, you always see every other year, there's a kid from Mass that finds his way to Nashville, Tennessee, uh, you know, some one way or another, that, that road, there's always a road from Mass to Nashville. I love it. Uh, but so you go to Vanderbilt, yep. you know, I'm sure you mentioned Omaha and the recruiting pitch and, uh, you know, that dream became a reality. You guys, you know, made it there and you didn't only make it there, but you won a national championship. You know, can you talk about that sophomore year? And maybe that kind of uh, vilified, val validated rather, your decision to, to go to Vanderbilt? Yeah, man. Uh, gosh, that team was incredible, man. And um, it's something special, like when you can go on a run like that, because it takes so much, it does take so much luck and you got things got to go your way for such a consistent period of time that you almost are, are, are wondering when that tide's going to turn, but it never did for us. And, and it's because we like consistently believed that we were going to pull out games, that we were going to come out on top on series, that we were going to come back in games, that we were going to pick each other up. So 
Yeah, I mean, it was an incredibly special year with an incredibly special group of guys. I mean, you think about Dansby Swanson was playing second base that year. Uh, Walker Bueller was the Sunday guy. Carson Fulmer was the Saturday guy. And I was the Friday guy kind of uh, carrying my own weight, but they were picking me up for sure. I was like, I had a so-so season, right? That was actually the year I got drafted. So, um, man, but to dogpile at the end, you you play. We were in Omaha for 15 days, which is a long time in Omaha. Yeah. And uh, have that dog pile, man. It's like, and I think, yeah, to look back, like I, I think it was right for me to say, you know, part of my decision was a, the desire to bring the first national championship to Vanderbilt. Um, and so to have that sort of full circle moment was, was incredible, man. And it's been uh, awesome to see their success continue on from there. And then if we rewind a year, your sophomore year, 14-1, 2.32 ERA, Golden Spikes Award finalist and Dick Hauser Award. Talk about, you know, your elite ability that year and what that was like. Yeah. Oh, man, that was a special year. I think, you know, the, like the team that year, we went 26-3 and three in the SEC, which is like, I don't know if anyone will ever beat that. Like, we were just on a roll, and I was I was kind of riding the wave with the team. We had an incredible offense, incredible lineup. Uh, but, yeah, man, I, I think I, I, I put some things together that year. I was coming off of a freshman year where, you know, I had such high expectations of myself. I put a ton of pressure on myself coming out as being a first rounder, trying to live up to a certain hype. Um, and so the reality of like being kicked in the face like that first year and I took the summer off, I didn't play summer ball. I came back home to mass, got to be around my buddies and like just have a kind of a, a reignited flame uh, in regards to just a desire and passion to come back and try to dominate and like not reprove myself, but just have success and have fun and enjoy it. Um, and so thankfully, yeah, I strung together a really good year that year and it was fun to, be at that Golden Spikes Award finalist with Chris Bryant, Colin Moran, obviously a couple studs. And it's like got to look around and really, you know, uh, just enjoy that moment while I was even playing. That was Team USA. So I played Team USA that year. And that team was loaded, man. Like Alex Bregman, Trey Turner, Carlos Rodon, Brandon Finnegan. Um, and so just to feel as if like I belonged in that group of guys, that class um, was cool. It was a cool year for me. I always enjoy looking back to that year. You mentioned we had Morgan McSweeney on here about about two weeks ago. He's in the Orioles oh, organization. I'm sure you I know love him. that guy. Yeah. yeah. So I grew up with him, and uh, so he mentioned kind of a similar thing. You know, coming out of high school, going. You know, he was going to Wake Forest, but similar. You know, you go down south, you have a kind of reputation, and just getting smacked in the face that you know fall freshman, and just like okay, yeah. this is real now. Can you talk about you know just fighting through that, you know, to get success, and you know all that pressure, and how you kind of manage that while you know staying at the elite level that you ultimately you know played at yeah I think you know I think like for me to put that year in context like I am super thankful that my dad when I was growing up I say growing up I would say like ages 13 to you know 16 in that youth youth travel ball age like he put me in positions where I was going to be challenged and I probably was going to fail and have some adversity and I would need to decide like am I going to give in here and I'm going to kind of just conform and, and be content with my talent and, uh, and abilities or am I going to get you know into the weight room come back to Cressy Sports Performance and like work my butt off and try to improve um, so that I can play to the level of those guys that I was just playing with right and so that freshman year I had had experience getting my butt kicked in right. like and, I, and it was another chance for me to say all right look this isn't where I'm going to fold and say I'm going to be a you know, an average college player, I'm going to sulk and say, I wish I went and signed. I wish I'm, I wish I was in the Blue Jays organization. I wish I took that money. 
uh, I'll be, I'll be realistic to say that I've had those thoughts before or during that year, I had those thoughts, but they were momentary, right? Like I needed to continue to keep my eyes forward and trust in the process and see that failure and adversity as a positive step towards success and towards overcoming it and towards accomplishing something great. Um, so I was fortunate that my dad had instilled those values in me that I could see that um, sort of from like a 30,000 foot perspective my freshman year. Now there were some dog days in there, man, where I was like, realistically, like, man, I, I wish I signed like, this is kind of, this is crap. Like this is tough. Because, yeah. um, you know, obviously you're struggling at athletically, but now you're having to take, you know, statistics and astronomy and, uh, you know, world culture <laughs> and, and economics and you're, you're strong. Like I'm just grinding. Right. So that's uh, the real thing at Vanderbilt. <laughs> those are real. Those are the realities of Vanderbilt. Right. But, uh, but I'm, I'm appreciative that I went through all that. And then 2014, Another first round pick, you know, 14th pick to the Giants. Talk about the transition to the MLB and maybe a certain player or coach that, you know, really took you under your wing and showed you along those first few months. Yeah, that's a good question, man. Um, you know, the transition is great because, you know, you, you don't have class anymore. And the time management <laughs> key, you know, the, the time management key is, you know, you have baseball. It's your only part of your day. So um, I loved it for a while. And I think I... Um, you know, I leaned heavily on a guy like I had coaches in the organization who played for a long time. The Giants always had Lee Smith around who just got inducted in the Hall of Fame. Steve Klein, who played for 12, 13 years with the Cardinals. Um, Sean Dunstan Jr., who played with the Cubs, used to be a first overall. Like, so I had all these resources and guys I could lean on who um, were just tremendous for me to, to just uh, see how the minor league process was going to go. So yeah, those first couple months were fun. And then, yeah, you start to learn that you need to, to make the most of your time because you only have really baseball for your for your day at that point. Right. And, you know, there's a common theme here, but living up to the hype and the expectation, the pressure, being a, another first round pick, you know, in a, in a time in baseball where a lot of people are getting fast tracked to the, to the major leagues. Yeah. Especially if the arm, you know, you look at Carson Fulmer, you know, he's up there pretty quick. You know, if you get explosive arm coming out of the pen, you're going to be in October, you know, within a couple months. Yep. Um, but you were kind of quite the opposite experience. Um, kind of went through some growing pains in the minor league system. Yeah. So how was that journey? You know, I asked this it was a previous question, but it kind of still applies here. Keeping your head high, keeping that right mindset, keeping everything, and ultimately, you know, reaching your goal of, of you know debuting with the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, it's yeah. I'm glad people don't overlook the long minor league career. You know, sometimes you look at. You know, you draft in 2014, debut in 18. It's like, well, there's a lot going on in those four years or so, right? So, um, yeah, I think I think what's most important is to note, like, uh, the Giants drafted me probably, you know, my junior year was, like I said, an up and down year. And I was battling with some control issues. Um, and, and I guess, like, looking back at it, it's some yips stuff. And, and yips essentially, like, just not really having control of, of where the ball is going and really, like, a mental hurdle, mental crutch of, like, just like uh, the lack of ability to understand and command, command your, your body and your hand and therefore the ball. Right. So they, they took, they took me at 14 and I was like a work in progress. Like they understood the potential and the high ceiling um, from obviously like my sophomore year and saw some glimpses of it, my junior year, but uh, it was going to take me a little bit to get that, get some things ironed out. And I needed to really grind, um, and I think it, and a lot of it came with the pressure that I put on myself. Like I just uh, tried to exceed expectations and I tried to put too much weight on my shoulders. So 
my first year in pro ball was great. Like I, 2015, I, I moved through, uh, I moved through high a rather quickly and got to double a. And then that next year and a half I spent in double a, um, really working on some things, figuring out my identity. And so, um, I could talk forever about my minor league experience, but I would just say, um, you know, I got to a point where I needed to surrender the outcome in the context of, I was, I was too wrapped up in my identity of being a baseball player. Like I cared too much about what other people thought. I cared too much about getting to the big leagues. I cared too much about really putting all my eggs in that one basket of like, people think that I need to be a successful big leaguer that I shouldn't be in the minor leagues anymore. Um, and when you constantly have those thoughts, like you can really put yourself in a, in an isolated uh, spot where you're dealing with some, some, uh, some depression, some anxiety, um, especially if you internalize it, like I am like big at internalizing struggles and difficulties. Uh, now that I've been married for a couple of years, it's easier for me to talk to her about some stuff. But as a man, you're like, I don't want to talk about, you know, fear and doubt and anxiety. It's like, eh, I'm going to, I'd rather you know, save that for, for some other conversation, but it's just the reality of it is what I was dealing with. And so the more I could kind of get that off my shoulders, especially in 2018, like I debuted, and then I got sent back down and I tried to fight my way to, to get back. And by fighting so hard, like I moved my way to the bullpen and I was trash, but it was a vital year for me. Like I keep talking about how important like failure is, which is almost counterintuitive, but like, man, like I'm so thankful that 2018 happened because it humbled me. And I sort of recentered myself to see like who Tyler Beatty is, what's most important in my life, that kind of thing. And how is your how is faith, your faith, you know, yeah. helped you through all these struggles, you know, faith is important to you talk about that and how that's kind of driven you through this. Yeah. Yeah, man. I appreciate asking that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I talked about futility in regards to my identity being wrapped up in baseball. And so, um, you know, the less that I, um, you know, worried about those things that I can't control in baseball and, and just surrendered those to the Lord. Like my faith is I depend on God to, to provide me sort of a, a peace of mind and joy for life that I can't get from baseball. So I, I can't try to extract from baseball these things that are going to provide me joy and satisfaction in my soul. So like if I get to the big leagues, which I've done, um, let's just go back. If I become a, a two-time first-round pick, like that, should, you know, and from a worldly perspective, that should make me a really happy man. But those things didn't bring me joy and satisfaction like I would have thought they would have in high school. Winning a college world series, that was an incredible moment, but it didn't satisfy my soul as much as it is hanging, hanging out with the day with Jesus and reading his and reading the Bible, things like that, making it to the big leagues, man. Like I would have thought if you told me in 2014, you make it to the big leagues. Like I would have thought, man, all right, my life's complete. Like I married a beautiful woman. Um, I got to the big leagues. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm in a great place. Like those, all those things really just didn't provide me the same joy and satisfaction that I thought they would. So you know, where else do you turn? But I, I turned to my faith and I turned to God and I realized that he's been behind, you know, all these opportunities for me to grow and learn. Like God just provides us all opportunities to lean and depend on him more. And so that's where my faith's come in, man. And baseball, it's, it's important for me. I, I, I work hard every day. I try to be the best that I can be because he's blessed me with these gifts and abilities to play the game that I love. But it's a platform for me to give back, whether it be for kids in need, inner city kids to give back in any form or fashion or to talk about Jesus, man. Like it's it's really just cool that, that God's, you know, put me in this position to, to do something that I love for this long and, um, and then get to talk to, talk about him in regards to it. So I appreciate you asking that question.
So the, you make the day, you know, ultimately baseball is a, a kid's game, right? I think you can admit that. I think anyone can admit that, right? You, with, with a smile on your face, you say yes, nod your head. <laughs> uh, so was ever a moment, you know, you, I'm sure you pitched at Fenway in the high school circuit and, you know, they have this, the, the kind of this, uh, showcases there, but I'm, maybe I'm assuming, but was pitching at Fenway, what was, was there a moment where you kind of pitch yourself like, man, I'm in the big leagues. Like there's people watching me play like this is, this is pretty sweet. <laughs> dude, I mean, you're so right. It is a kid's game. Every Dude, every game, like, uh, yeah. especially in Dodger Stadium, like, um, I was fortunate to get my first win there. And uh, you do. You, you, you're you warming up in the bullpen and people are booing at you because you're a Giants player. Um, <laughs> they got, like, they got 55,000 people there. The speakers are so loud. And you finally get on the mound and you look around. And there's it's trip, three decks going up and they, they fill out the whole place and you're facing – Cody Bellinger, bases loaded, they're, they're chanting MVP. And you, you get like a chance to just be like, man, like this could all go that, like I could give up a grand slam right here, or I can get this dude out. And like either way, like I'm pitching in the in the big leagues and, and I'm just soaking it all in. And I, I don't have a worry in the world, man. Like I'm like, I don't care what happens at this point. Like I don't care if if he gets you know it's a home run. Like I get to tell my kids one day, I get to pitch in Dodger Stadium, uh, or pitch in the big like, you know, for me, the rest is icing on the cake after being able to to do something like that. So I hope that feeling never fades because uh, like you said, it's, it's a kid's game and uh, it's fortunate to still be playing it. I don't want to get you in trouble here, but you know, you said mentioned Dodger stadium being full. I don't know if it gets full. It's about the fifth inning. There's some casual fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that setting, that scene was fifth inning for sure. I think it was sixth inning, but yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned your childhood dreams coming true and there's a lot of pressure on kids, you know, growing up these days, being the athlete, they want to be it. Their parents put so much pressure. What is your advice to those young athletes, baseball or not out there? Maybe to the, even the parents who put all these pressures on kids at such a young age with specialization and everything. Yeah. I mean, you, I was literally going to say, don't specialize, man. Like let your kid be an athlete, let him go run around in the backyard, play wiffle ball, let him play the sports he wants to play. Um, don't take it too seriously. Like, you know, I think that there's a time to push your kid um, in regards to like his development, um, especially if he shows that he's self-driven and he desires that challenge. But in regards to letting your kid become athletic, it's only going to happen if he's out doing, you know, playing basketball, playing football, playing baseball, hockey, um, soccer, wiffle ball in the backyard. Like all these things are, are so great for their development. Um, you know, I always tell parents like, this is your kid's career. Um, you know, my dad did a great job of, he was a baseball player. He was a great coach, but he never coached me. Like he was never the coach of my team. He always understood that that was a time for him to be a parent and to cheer me on and to support me. Um, and then when I drove it, when I would, would drag him to the backyard or to the local field, like that's when he knew he needed to be a coach. And cause I was waiting for that opportunity. Right. So, you know, this is your kid's career. Um, let them have fun. Like just understand that you support them, that you're proud of them. Uh, cause it's important to hear that stuff. Like if my dad hadn't told me from a young age, that he was proud of me and that he saw, you know, something special in me. I don't know if I would have, you know, felt that that dream in me be cultivated as much because, uh, you know, as, as if he was saying, you know, things that were negative or wasn't supporting me. So well, both my parents did that. Um, and I, I see parents these days be just being too hard on their kids because they have high expectations and they're, they're 11 years old and they didn't strike out the side or they didn't hit a home run. It's like, your kid's 11, man, like give them a break. So, um, <laughs> It's just the way that they, the game is these days, but uh, I, I think that there's a lot of good that's coming from the game, hopefully from that youth level. I can attest to that being a 13U coach this past summer. I had Ooh. both ends of the spectrum there, so that's, that's <laughs> very much so happening. 
Um, you're good to hear or not good to hear. <laughs> but so, you know, at the end of the day, baseball isn't, you know, going to be your end goal. I mean, it is your goal, but, you know, you got life after baseball. Um, can you talk about maybe setting up your brand right now and maybe some things you're diving into uh, to set yourself up for, you know, a career almost once you're, once you're done stepping on the, mile, on the mound? Yeah, it's a great question, man. I think I've always tried to be conscious of, uh, I guess, my brand um, in a way uh, in regards to the platform that I have. So, yeah, my dad, brother, and I are doing a podcast now. It's called Glove Talk. So very similar to you guys. We're just talking about baseball and talking about guys' stories. Um, and obviously working with with AJ at Lumberland, I, I really desire that opportunity to work in like a leadership role um, and to impact guys' lives um, from that context. Um, I love, you know, uh, not sports radio, but broadcasting in a way. Like my brother's passionate about that. I love the idea of of being able to to talk about baseball after I'm done. Um, I think from you know an early age, I've desired that. Um, and then like the the basic like having a, a training facility of my own where I can you know have that impact on kids who are in that like 11 to 16 year old range who are the next generation of kids. Um, and so you know I think right now just trying to have those conversations with, with parents and kids that my dad and I run through, through his consulting baseball company, baseball process, where we have the opportunity to work with kids, right? That's, it's a passion of both of ours. And so just starting to plant those seeds and build that brand now um, will be important for, for me. And then for, for both of us after, you know, my career is over. You know, you talk about a lot giving back. Why is that so important to you? Yeah. I mean, just simply understanding that I am the person I am. And then I am the, I'm in the place I am today is because of people who gave their time and sacrificed for me, whether it was, you know, coaches early on, um, family members, um, friends of the family, uh, other, other friends growing up, um, all those people gave so much of their time and energy and support for me along my career, especially when things weren't going good. Right. I learned a lot about who was in my corner when I had those difficult years. Um, and so not only just to give back, you know, for the sake of, of those people, but understanding that, you know, a lot of, of that stuff goes a long way in helping a kid achieve his dreams. And um, it doesn't even have to be baseball related. It can be in life and in, in any endeavor that they choose. So um, I know that there are kids who just don't have, you know, similar resources as other kids in regards to maybe like a Cressy sports performance or playing on a travel ball team um, or having a glove or cleats. And so, um, I, I just, I know that there's a need and I, I just tried to, to take a, a position of, uh, of helping of those people in need. So any way that I can, I always try to. That's awesome. And so where can people find you when they want to watch you, you know, reeling a fish, throw your first baseball on Monday, uh, you know, whatever it may be coming up until, until you're back on TV, towing the rubber. Oh, reeling a fish. Well, all that's, uh, yeah, you can, you can find me on Instagram, man, at, at Tyler Beatty. Um, I tried to stay as inter uh, interactive with fans and people as possible. Um, I'm helping kids out um, on this uh, new site talk guidelines where I'm, I'm helping kids out in their careers. If they feel the desire to, to take that next step and they feel passionate about it. Um, I just feel like I have, you know, have had experiences that allot me the resources to help guys out. So uh, yeah, either on talk guidelines on Instagram, um, uh, any way that you guys need to access me is, is always, uh, open for me. And Tyler, you know, that's all we got here on more than the name podcast. We really appreciate you coming and sharing your journey with us. Yeah, you got it. Thanks Luke. Thanks Drew. Appreciate you guys, man. Thanks for having me on.